0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of the Outdoor Adventure Series podcast. This is your host, Howard Fox. The Outdoor Adventure Series celebrates individuals and families, businesses, and organizations that seek out and promote the exploration of the great outdoors. Our guest today is Ruth Hoyt. Ruth is an award-winning nature photographer and the owner of Photobound Tours. Ruth is based in deep South Texas, and she specializes in bird photography. She works with Texas Photo Ranches as a guide, workshop leader, and consultant. And she leads these tours and workshops for various companies, including Kodak and agencies such as the National Park System. Ruth, it's a pleasure to have you on the Outdoor Adventure Series podcast.
1: Hi, Howard. It's great to be here. <laughs>
0: Fantastic. And for our listeners, Ruth was another uh in the many gold, striking of gold up in the annual conference of the Outdoor uh, Writers Association of America's annual conference in Jay Peak Resort, and just had the pleasure to tag along with Ruth as she was uh, doing her photography bit. And I was, I uh, was just like the, the envious, uh, little student just following her around because I figured she knows what to shoot. I'm just going to follow along as well. But Ruth, it was a pleasure to, to meet you there and really excited that you're on the podcast here today. Thank you very much. Ruth, I would love, uh, before we kind of get into your, uh, photography work, can you share a little bit about your background and. How uh, you ended up with some very nice cameras in your hand, I might add, and down in the South Texas, ranch country, teaching people how to f- photograph.
1: Well, I've been teaching photography, nature photography specifically, for more than 30 years now. So I guess that makes me a veteran of sorts in the nature photography venue. I came to deep South Texas A little bit more than 20 years ago, in January of 2000, I came down here for a wildlife photo contest, and I never went home. I lived in Missouri, and that's where I started with my photography. But once I got to South Texas, I knew I was where I wanted to be.
0: So South Texas, what is it about South Texas that made it such an attractive place to put up roots?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well for me one of the first things is I hate being cold. I don't like being cold. I don't like being in cold climates. I love being warm. And I couldn't believe when I got here in January of 2000 that it was 80 degrees always and it never really got below 60. That's my kind of temperature. I I'm sort of like a lizard. I like being in the heat. Yeah, it wasn't just the the warm temperatures. It was the warm people and the fantastic wildlife. When you're driving down here, it sort of looks all the same if you're on a highway, but once you turn down a ranch road, you start seeing the differences in the habitat. And once you get out and start walking around, that's when you start noticing the wildlife that's really there. It doesn't look like it when you're just driving around, but once you've got what they say, boots on the ground, then you start seeing what's really there.
0: So I have a question, and I'm sure I could go and hit Google Maps, but I I know Houston. In In fact, I was there last weekend, and I know Dallas, I know Austin, San Antonio. How does one get to South Texas?
1: You just keep going South. I am down near the tip of Texas. Brownsville is in the very tip. And if you go up the Rio Grande River, which is sort of northwest from there, you'll eventually go to Harlingen and then McAllen. And from McAllen, which is 10 miles from the Mexican border, you just go north about 40 miles and you're out in brush country. And that's where I live. I'm I'm in a zone that is where many zones meet. So I'm near the subtropics of Mexico. I'm near the grassland prairies the coast of texas and then the fringes of the chihuahuan desert so it's where a bunch of ecosystems meet and that's why we have so much diversity in wildlife and particularly in birds
0: that's fantastic birding i i i love that and definitely we're going to talk about that how did you begin to explore photography as a profession i mean 30 years i mean that that is a career that is a career had you always been interested in photography and nature or is this something you kind of kind of fell into
1: well it's some of both i've always been interested in the arts whether it's drawing or painting uh writing any of the uh, any of the arts uh i've always been attracted to i think i'm pretty creative and back in the days when I just drew and, and painted, I thought, wow, photographers got, it. they've got it easy because they just take the picture and they've got the results. The artist has to create it. But then once I started with photography, I took a class and it was all about the lighting and the depth of field and the focus and, and the composition. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I've got to create it within the lens that I'm looking through. And so it's a complete. Uh, full circle for me so that's that's sort of how I began not really knowing anything about it but when I do anything that I'm interested in doing I don't test the water with my toe dipping into it I just jump in and that's what happened with me within just a short time of immersing myself into photography I ended up teaching it
0: (laughs) how did you how did you begin to explore that aspect of photography or you know, teaching others.
1: Well, I've always been a teacher of some sort. In my background, I've taught drawing and painting. I've taught dog training of all things. So I have a history of teaching. I was a music teacher also. Uh, I started doing that. That's what I went to college for. I was a music education major. So teaching has always been a big part of my life. I began teaching when I was a teenager myself, actually. But when I got into photography, I ended up joining the St. Louis Camera Club, and that's where I met some of my first mentors, and that's what propelled me forward. It just escalated from there. I really didn't know very much about nature. I loved being outside, I loved camping and doing things like that, but by immersing myself in photography and getting out and doing nature photography, that's when I started learning about the details, and I became a real avid naturalist, and that led to teaching other people and helping other people with their cameras.
0: That's fantastic, and and I can attest uh, to our folks on um listening to this call uh i was a recipient of some of those lessons when we were in uh, up in Jay Peak, and, and i mean there are some shots that i just like i just didn't know how to do and ruth is was very gracious in offering her advice along the way so ruth in, in full public disclosure thank you so much for that dude i definitely had some wonderful image as a result of uh just our our chats along the way I have a question now, getting back to Texas, you talked about in the introduction the the Texas Photo Ranch. What What is that?
1: Well, there aren't very many, so it's very much a niche kind of thing. Certain ranches down here, especially in the tip of Texas, the deep South Texas area, have set up professional photo blinds for capturing pictures of wildlife. Instead of us chasing birds and chasing after wildlife, we build, I'm going to say, man-made water holes, you know, that hold water and have cover nearby so the birds and wildlife have a safe place to find food and water. And what we do is set up perches for the birds to land on, and they come down to our perches. They come to us rather than us chasing them. And the photo blinds are set up depending on which which blind it is. If it's a morning blind, we have the photo blind below ground with the window at ground level facing west. So we've got the early morning sun coming up from behind us and lighting up our subjects. So the opposite holds true in an afternoon blind. It faces basically east. And the afternoon and evening sunlight fall directly onto our subjects. So they're very, It's like I said, it's a niche. It's, it's very carefully planned and constructed. I'm going to say an outdoor photo studio type situation. And we, we have feeders that, that feed the wildlife all year round. So it's a safe place for them to come. They know that the food is going to be there. They're not dependent on it. But it's there when they get up in the morning or else come in the afternoon, depending on which blind it is. when we do the perches, we add additional things that we don't have in the feeders, so there are extra tidbits for them to find when we're photographing.
0: That's fantastic, and it's just uh you know it's it's like this prep work to get ready to to take pictures and you know and basically you take pictures all day just given. You know the morning activity and the the afternoon and evening activity during the the year i would imagine there's birds on the flight path as they're migrating you know from north to south south to north maybe there's the the indigenous species of birds that are just there in texas but what are some of the the highlights that you're seeing throughout the year as far as the various bird species.
1: What I would say about that, because I get asked this question frequently, when's the best time to come? And I'm just going to say, pretty much anytime you come here, you're going to have something to photograph. Now, a lot of people can't take the South Texas heat, especially in July, August, and September, because it's always about 100 degrees or more during the daytime at that time of year. However, that's when northern bobwhite or quail have their chicks. And it's when the bobcats come to drink at the waterhole because it's hot. So even in the summertime, when most people can't stand the thought of being down here, it's a good time to come and photograph. That being said, most people enjoy coming in March, April, and May. Those are the early months of the year where it's not quite so hot. And we get a lot of movement at that time of year. If you look at our ranch calendar, it's booked solidly In April, there are no openings in April because you generally have to book a year ahead of time. But March, April, and May are the busiest three months in the photo blinds uh, because that's when migratory birds are starting to move north. Some start early in March and others don't go until May. So every day is different. You can predict approximately when something's going to show up, but you're never completely sure because every day is different. Most people love to come down here to get our painted buntings. The male painted buntings are like a rainbow bird. And they sometimes hit the coast down at South Padre Island. I'm going to say April 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th. But what we tell people is if you want to get a painted bunting on the ranch in one of the settings where we have perches set up, you want to come about April 15th. That's when they start showing up and make regular appearances. Now they stay March, April, uh, I shouldn't say March. They stay, they arrive in mid-April and they'll stay into the summer. The males leave early, they leave in late July or early August, and then the females and the the chicks that they raised that year uh, will head south for the winter in August and sometimes into September. But if you want a male painted bunting, you need to come between April fifteenth and let's say June fifteenth to be sure that you're going to get a a really nice male in good plumage. But it it varies.
0: Okay. Now I know. Let's just jump ahead for a little bit. I know you're planning a a class or workshop later on in in two thousand twenty two. My God, it's the new year coming up. It will that be around that time of the year? So the your your students can be able to
1: we do i i do a couple of workshops i i do one in february where we have our regular year-round birds and we have different i'm going to call them winter birds they they migrate south for the winter and they stop here so we have our regular year-round birds in february Plus, we have birds that visit us and stay with us over the winter. So I have one workshop in February. And then I have another one in April that I co-lead with um, Adam Jones. He's one of the Canon Explorers of Light. We've done a couple workshops together and really enjoy working together. So that one we do in April for migration.
0: Okay. I'm curious, of the birds and being down in this area of the country, in addition to the the painted bunting. And by the way, I, I am a very opportunistic podcaster, Ruth. I, th- I think I may have mentioned that I would love to, if you would be, you know, remiss to, well, let me start all over again. Yes, I am a opportunistic podcaster, but I would love if you could share, you know, perhaps, you know, four or six pictures of some of the birds that you're capturing down in uh, the photo ranches, and especially uh, one of the male uh, painted buntings. I think that'd be fantastic on our show notes.
1: I'll be happy to send you some. Oh, that would be great.
0: That's fantastic. And I, I'm getting so used to saying that I'm an opportunistic podcaster, because in the outdoor space, it all always revolves around photos. Besides the the painted bunting, is there another bird species that, you know, just every year just kind of gives you goosebumps
1: you know it's really funny because it's a backyard bird for me but the green jay most people in the north america have blue jays or stellar's jays different kinds of jays but they're all blue or gray we have the green jay which is a tropical jay and he's yellow and green and blue and black a very colorful bird and it may be common to the area, but it's not common to everybody else. And I just love the antics of these jays. They're not uh, bully birds like some of the jays that I see in other parts of the country. They're, they're bold, but they're not bully birds. And the antics that they, they just, they're they're comedians and they perform all the time for me. I've got pictures of fluffy ones, sopping wet ones, and those are hard to get because they don't bathe often. But fluffy ones, wet ones, ones with their crests raised, because they they when they get excited or angry, they fluff up. And uh, they're just fun to watch. And they're beautiful in flight. So I take pictures of them flying to cactus, and you get the full spectrum of their colors in the photos. It's a lot of fun
0: that sounds fantastic. How do you prepare? in your work for you know the the amateur the professional to come down and shoot with you how do you how do you get not only yourself ready but get your your students ready to so that they can maximize their experience
1: okay some people are students and some are not so I have to be prepared for whoever comes I do like to know who they are before they come but let's just say some people have made a reservation to visit the, let's just say the Laguna Seca Ranch with me. And I always like to know what equipment are you using and how familiar are you with it? And so if they tell me that they're a full-time working professional, I'm prepared to just sort of sit back, set up perches and sit back and, and do what they ask me to do as far as what's out in front of us. But if it's somebody who's new to photography or they've done photography, but just not done birds uh, specifically, then I will help them with their camera settings and make suggestions, you know, whether to shoot in manual. Some people don't like to spend a lot of time on the computer, so they're going to want to probably shoot on JPEG, but I tell them shoot on the largest size JPEG possible because it gives you most the most latitude with working with your files. So I like to work with everybody. Um, I work with kids a lot. I do youth photo workshops in the s- summertime and uh, nature photo camp for kids. I do all kinds of photography instruction for nature photography. It, it just, you know, who I've got at the moment is how I prepare. With kids, they typically don't have uh, fancy equipment and tripods. And so if I'm taking them in a photo blind with me, I have extra tripods that I bring so they can put their cameras on a, a tripod for the stability and not having to swing their lenses all around. Because the more you move with your camera, the more jumpy you're going to make your subjects.
0: Very good. When we went out on our photo excursion back in JP, Peak and I... You know, I, I had brought a, my used, uh, it was a Canon EOS sixty Mark II. It was my new full frame. I had a used 100 to 400 millimeter lens. I was very happy. And then I'm seeing some of the birds up in the trees. I'm thinking, I don't think my lens is long enough. So having said that, what type of equipment do you recommend that, your guests and and i include the amateurs as well as the students what kind of equipment do you recommend your guests to bring so that they can have the most beneficial birding experience
1: that's sort of a loaded question especially now with the mirrorless cameras i'm full-time on mirrorless a mirrorless camera i have the canon eos Uh, R5, and I've got the R3 on order. The R5 is a full-frame camera, does 20 frames per second, and it's a a full-frame camera with close to 50 megapixel uh, images. That is a huge file, and so you can crop a lot. If people have a camera like that, it's not it's not a big deal to crop a lot of your picture out, so you don't necessarily have to have the 600 millimeter lens. Now, when people tell me what they have, I might rec- make, if they don't have something that's really long enough in the lens range, we like to tell people to have at least a 300 millimeter lens. If not, 400 is is better, 500 is Actually, very good. But if you have a crop frame camera, that magnifies what you've got. So it depends on what they've got. If they don't have um, a long enough telephoto lens, what I do is recommend that they rent one for the week and have it delivered a couple of days ahead of time, so you can get used to it a little bit, and then work on getting more familiar with it when you're in the blind. And I'll help with that.
0: That's fantastic. So you're you're really helping the students and your guests really achieve the best possible photo. I mean, that's, uh, even as somebody, I mean, I like to think of myself as experienced, but I think it, it pales to, you know, someone like yourself. And, and so definitely I will be, will take advantage of that. What do you see as the, the biggest challenge for coming out to one of these ranches you know to to be successful i mean do people come and expect the you know the birds are just going to be right there i mean there's is there is patience a challenge what 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 challenges you know those those guests of yours
1: what i tell people is every day is different they are wild birds they're not trained to be at the blind at a certain time although you can. And predict that usually they will, but sometimes the weather will make a difference. If it's uh, super cold, they might stay hunched down and and fluffed out wherever they've slept, and they might not show up as soon. And if it's really hot, they generally come a little bit early. So, like I said, they're they're wild animals and they're not pets. Although they know to come to the photo blind area for for food when they see us going into the blind, and let. Every day is different. Every photo blind is different. You might have a bad day one morning at a blind because there might be a hawk sitting in the tree right by where your photo blind is. If you've got a hawk in the area, the activity is going to be very minimal because nobody wants to be out and vulnerable when a hawk is around. And sometimes that happens and if I get out of the photo blind and the hawk sees me, it will fly away. So we we don't try to manipulate the birds' behaviors. But if, if a hawk is in the area and it's messing up our opportunities, I, I will get out of the blind and walk around just to see if I can get it to, to move. They're, they're pretty wary and they don't uh, hang around when I go outside the blind. But yeah, okay. every day is different. That's, that's what I can emphasize. And, you know, somebody might get a painted, one, painted bunting one day and the next day they're not there. It's, it, it, some of it's coincidence. Some of it's weather. It's, it's just every day is different okay
0: fascinating fascinating and with your work and 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 just the length of time you have been shooting professionally and the nature and the birding photography i would imagine you have had your your work in a a few books maybe some museums what's been that experience like
1: you know i Yes, I've been published by National Geographic Books and the Nature Conservancy. I've I've been published, but I really don't focus on selling my images. I do more coaching and selling my services. My services being teaching and and leading and guiding and workshops and and helping people. That's that's more my focus. I I do have photographs in some hospitals and some commercial buildings. Recently I had 30 large pictures put into a law firm's office. And so they've got an exhibit hall. And actually one of their conference rooms is called the Green Jay Room because the it's in McCallan and the McCallan City bird is the Green Jay. So that was uh that was a really exciting uh time for me was putting an exhibit together. All the pictures are very large. The smallest one is three feet by three feet and they go on up to three feet by six feet.
0: Oh wow. That's amazing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah now, as a member of the Outdoor Writers Association of America, I would imagine you're doing some writing as well with regard to your work. What's that like?
1: A lot of my writing is some of it's instructional, some of it is observation and sharing my experiences. so i've I've written for several different publications. More recently, I've just signed on to work with the Journal of Wildlife Photography, which to me is a very prestigious publication. It's a quarterly online publication. I'm real pleased to have been involved with that. My first article with them comes out at the beginning of the year.
0: Fantastic. That's fantastic. Now, as you look back on your career, and this is a loaded question in a way, as you look back, would you change anything? Is there something you would do different or maybe the same, but maybe add some more nuance or less nuance? What, what, what would you do different?
1: Oh, I think I would have started earlier. Um, yeah, I think I would have started earlier. I, you know, my training in art has always been part of my past and it, it did indirectly lead me to photography. Yeah, I, I think I would have started earlier and I probably wouldn't have majored in music education. I would have probably gone into wildlife biology or something along those lines. I had no real interest or even a clue about that sort of thing back when I was um, a teenager going from high school to college. And so I I wasn't really sure what my path was going to be. And I knew music very well, so that's what I chose at the time. Sure. Now, as a member
0: of the OWAA, how long have you been a member uh, of this organization?
1: Ooh, I think it's been about ten years. I recently came off the board. I was on the board of directors for three—I think three years—and I'm planning to get back on. You have to; uh, your your terms are limited, and after a certain amount of time, you go off, and then you can come back on. So, I'll probably become more active with them again. Okay,
0: and I know there's a lot of you know craft competitions, photography, writing. What's your advice to up and coming photographers that, that want to follow a path that you know that hey, that they've seen your work and it's like that that's what I want to do. What what would your advice to them be?
1: Well, I I tell them to spend as much time out in the field learning their trade if that's what they want to do i coach photographers from little kids all the way up to adults with with the little kids it's more of getting them outside and away from their phones and computers and getting them to immerse themselves in being outside in nature and don't worry so much that you're hot or or well i don't like to be cold so I, it's hard to say <laughs> but you know you may be hot but stay the course because you might see something that that you wouldn't see if you gave up early and with that I'll encourage them to enter competitions but understand that when you enter a competition the judging is very subjective so let's say you let's say your specialty is taking pictures of ants and insects little things and if you've got a judge who doesn't know anything about or care about ants and butterflies and things like that they're going to lean towards more maybe birds or deer or mountains you know landscapes so you have to take into consideration that what you like is not necessarily what a judge is going to like but if you enter competitions that are geared toward your likes you'll learn a lot through that you'll see when you don't win something you look at the winners and and um, if I'm coaching you we'll look at the winners and talk about how yours hold up against that, and also take into that subjectivity in judging. Just because you've got a great picture doesn't mean it's going to win.
0: Very good. Ruth, one of our segments that we had, Success Insight, which is where our outdoor adventure uh, segment resided, was called Insight to Go, and this is an opportunity for us to ask our guests if you know a piece of advice that they would like to leave with our listeners this could be a quote a book just a philosophy you know for our listeners today on the outdoor adventure series what would be your insight to go for our listeners
1: oh gosh there's so many things if it's if it's just about photography i'm going to say the more you look the more you'll see and what i mean by that is it just because you Taken a picture that you like doesn't mean you've got the best one out there. The more you look, the more you're going to see. And back in the film days, I know this dates me, but back in the film days, we'd have a roll of film and it would be 36 exposures. And we'd take a piece of rope and make a 10 foot circle with that piece of rope. And the assignment would be to, to shoot the whole roll of film. That's 36 separate pictures within that rope. And you could make it a macro session where you're photographing all the little things you see on the ground, or you can make it uh, a place uh, or an assignment for yourself where you can't move from that spot. You can turn around in different directions and point and and get different subjects, but you have to stand in one spot. That's a really good exercise. The more you look, the more you'll see. I mean, you could put me on a parking lot and I'm going to find pictures. I really think that's true. But as far as nature photography, I have a very strong sense of ethics and people, when they, when they photograph, they're going to maybe have something in mind that they're going to go photograph, but I like to keep an open mind and always have a sense of, am I having an impact on the subject that I'm photographing or not? So I, I try and have, um. A good sense of ethics. I don't want to disturb the habitat where the subject is, or disturb the landscape if I'm doing a landscape. Whatever it is, so consider yourself, um, you know, uh, your own judge of what ethics you use when you photograph. And then I, I might guess my final thought is to always ask questions, never stop asking questions, and look for the answers in as many different places as you can. Sometimes the answers help you with. The next thing that you're going to be doing with your camera and take you to the next level.
0: Fantastic. Well, we appreciate uh, your insights to go. Ruth, before we head out, if our listeners would like to learn more about you and your work, where are the best places for them to go?
1: Well, I'm going to say my website is probably a little out of date. So the best place to find me where I'm current is on Instagram. That's my go-to place to connect with the world. And generally I post a picture a day and the picture is usually a bird and it talks about the bird and a little bit about its habits. So it's, it's instructional, but it's also trying to show the glory of, of what, the birds are that i see regularly now i'm going to be doing a trip to costa rica so they won't be south texas birds coming up on my uh instagram account in the next couple of weeks but most of the time you're going to see south texas birds in my instagram account
0: fantastic and i know you have a couple instructional uh, videos uh, on youtube so we'll provide backlinks to that site as well as well as to instagram ruth it's been a pleasure to have you on the outdoor adventure series podcast it was a pleasure uh to meet you up in Peak resort in vermont for the owaa conference and i really appreciated just being able to spend time and shoot with you and you know we for our listeners ruth and myself and Chris uh, Paparo went off instead of uh, hanging out with the whole group on the final night at the fire pit, we went off and took some uh, nice dark sky photos, got the Milky Way. So really it was a special opportunity to not only capture the Milky Way, but also to spend time with two new friends. So I thank you for that as well.
1: That was a lot of fun. I've got many fond memories of photographing and meeting people at Jay Peak. And so I I am sure that you want me to send something along with that to share. There you (laughs) go. You know me so well by
0: now. This is great. This is great. Well, Ruth, once again, thank you for taking time out of your day. And I do hope that I am able to make it down to South Texas and would love to to shoot with you and just just to take advantage of those blinds and be in the be in the moment and still and just, you know, be aware of the surroundings and take some good pictures. So I'm looking forward to that.
1: Absolutely. Look forward to having you down here. Thank you.
0: Fantastic. We'll stay in a line. We're going to do a quick close and then you and I can have a final chat. Okay. All right, folks, we have just been chatting with Ruth Hoyt. She's an award-winning nature photographer and the owner of Phono Bound Tours. She is a resident of South Texas and really spends much of her professional time out on the ranches where she photographs and leads workshops and tours, guides other photographers, teaches nature photography with a specialty in bird photography. And this is a uh, four-season endeavor. You have the local native species, as well as the species that are in transit, either going south or north, depending on the time of the year. And we're definitely gonna look forward to having a couple of photos of uh, some of this, the birds that Ruth had mentioned, the painted um, bunting and the green jay, and you know, perhaps a couple of her fine shots from up at the, the resort at Jay Peak in Vermont from October. Folks, we hope you enjoy episodes like this. We wanna hear from you. Give us a comment, a like, you can visit us on the outdooradventureseries.com. Uh, you can also find this episode on the major podcasting platforms iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, where we have the Outdoor Adventure Series playlist. We're on Amazon Music, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and Audible. All right, folks, there's no reason why you can't get out. I mean, heck literally this morning I could have gotten up with my camera and just opened up my little Juliet balcony door and there is a bird there I'd never heard it before but what a sweet sound and as Ruth was th- chatting about some of the birds in her neck of the woods I'm always back to thinking about those cardinals that were up in the midwest uh, back in Chicago out in our little uh, parking lot area and that's That's how I knew summer was arriving because the Cardinals would show up. And, you know, some of those sounds just bring back such sweet memories. And so hopefully wherever you are, you can take advantage of that as well. Okay, go out there, have a phenomenal day, and we will see you on a future episode of the Outdoor Adventure Series podcast. Take care now.